This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Puckcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. And my co-host, as always, it's AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. On today's show, we'll be shifting focus from our review of all 31 teams now that the regular season is done. And instead, we want to get you ready for the first round of the NHL playoffs by previewing the eight matchups that will commence later this week. But that's not all. We have some promising news coming down the pipe, and uh, due to your interest and the success of this pod, we'll soon be adding a second fantasy sports podcast on Thursdays from Rotowire in the near future, supported also by 105.9 FM The Region, right here in my backyard in Toronto. My co-host for that podcast is Matthew Kay, a former professional wrestler affiliated with the world wrestling entertainment industry and a rising star in the fantasy sports space. AJ and I want to welcome Matt to today's episode of Puckcast, and we're all excited about what's just around the corner for all of us. How about that, Matt? Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you guys so much. Since the last time we were together, I've uh, made so many strides and met so many great people uh, doing a fantasy baseball work. So it's, it's just fantastic. Thanks so much. And a big shout out to Roto-Wire and everybody involved. And AJ, your two cents, pal. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have uh, Matt on the show here. Obviously, uh, I'll leave the baseball talk to you guys. Uh, That's not really my uh, cup of tea outside of the Brewers. I don't really know much going on there. I'll I'll stick to the ice for that one. But uh, excited for you guys. You know, obviously, if you're if you're talking pucks, if you want to talk a little bit of soccer, you give me a call. I'll hop in on that. But uh, (laughs) other than that, I'll let you two uh, bona fide experts uh, deal with that. Well, I'm looking forward to the Thursday show with you, Matt, for sure. And uh, thanks to the support of the 105.9, the region in uh, York region, just outside of Toronto. Uh, they're going to support us in that realm. And, so, of course, we got Roto-Wire uh, beating the drum for us, too. So I'm looking forward to where that's going to take us. But in other news, uh, AJ, you get a dollar from me, pal. Our final dollar <laughs> bet standings show. Crosby and Malcolm, that pairing pulled off 172 points this year. Tavares and Matthews, 161. And I just wish I had the opportunity to write in Mitch Martyr as a sub because then it would have been a lot closer. But you wouldn't let me, pal. Hey, you know, a bet's a bet. You want to talk centers, we can talk centers all day. <laughs> but, 
you know, it, it really uh, it would have been closer. Uh, I guess maybe if I gave you Marner for Matthews, uh, I, th- I think the math there, you might have come out on top. But even if you got Marner in for Tavares, uh, still the dollar coming my way. Uh, you know, it's it's we'll get into more later, but it's why you never write, write off the Penguins when you got Crosby and Malkin anchoring your middle. Uh, it's, you can't do uh, can't do too bad there. So uh, we can look forward to our Rotowire annual meetup. Matt, we get together with uh, a bunch of our cronies in Las Vegas every summer, and uh, I'll be presenting my co-host with a U.S. dollar bill to continue that annual <laughs> tradition. But we're also hopeful a longtime friend of the show and a guy that you might have heard about, uh, poker star and Hall of Famer in that space, Daniel Negreanu, has been a friend of this show for a long time. He'll join us too, we hope, and he's collecting on another bet with AJ uh, regarding Nolan Patrick of the Flyers. The bet was... Is he going to score at least 30 points this season? And uh, Daniel took the, the winning side of that bat, so, so AJ is going to give my dollar to him. Maybe it's more than a dollar, too. I'm not really sure how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, I got to double down. It's $2 for him, and, and only by two points. Let's be clear on that. Uh, Patrick got 31 points. Two less uh, would have been okay there. But, uh, you know, I will real quick before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineup, fantasy, hockey, hockey in general, if you have baseball questions, give a shout out to Matt or Paul there. Uh, tweet at us. We'll try and answer those. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJSholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right, let's roll with this. Uh, we'll take it the Eastern Conference first, guys. And the first series we're going to look at is the Tampa Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets. The series was 3 nothing for the Bolts. They outscored Columbus by a wide margin of 17-3. to That would imply to me that this could be a very short series. If you look at the, the rankings, the in goals for power play goals and shorthanded, the Tampa Lightning swept those categories. They were seventh in goals against Columbus, a little bit further up the track in each of those areas. But I want to start off by taking a look at the forwards here, guys, and then I want you guys to chime in and with your opinions. And with Tampa, they've got a wealth of offensive weapons there. They've got three guys who topped the 40-goal mark in terms of offensive production and goal scoring. And that's just the tip of the iceberg there with Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov. They've got the likes of Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, JT Miller, very useful parts up there. The weakness that I've seen in this team is they couldn't really find a productive left winger to, to fit in on that top line. But Andre Palat has been a longtime running mate of St- Steven Stamkos, maybe the defensive conscience of that unit. Uh, what are your opinions about the, col- uh, the Lightning collection of forwards? Yeah, so for me, uh, I do somewhat agree about the concern on on left wing there. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, they've figured it out. And so I'm not one to doubt Palat at this point. Uh, And anybody playing with Stamkos is going to be fine. On the flip side, you know, you've got... um, you know, Duchesne and Panarin make a great top line. Dzingo adds a little bit of depth there um, for for Columbus, but overall, I just don't think they can hang. Uh, that's at least how I see it. I don't know. Do you see it any differently, Matt? Uh, no, not at all. I think from Columbus's point of view, they just need to try, and I emphasize try, to shut down Kucherov. I mean, he just destroys them. He has four goals and five assists against them in three games. Uh, Tampa Bay put up eight, five, and four respectively against this team. And it just, I mean, look, I like Columbus. I think they're relatively deep, but I don't think they can compete with Tampa Bay in this series at all. 
Yeah, it's for me. It's the fact that Duchesne has not really lit up, lit things up like I thought he would, and that that has to change. The Zingles has done his part in terms of the Ottawa imports here. Panarin with a foot out the door. I wonder where his head's going to be at. But uh, why don't we take a look at the defense uh, situations for both these teams? AJ, why don't you take us into that uh, category? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just quick aside, I think Panarin's thinking about the son and his old buddy Joe Quenville mm-hmm. down in Florida yeah. right now. So uh, he's looking forward to that. Defensively, you know, it's more of the same. I just don't think that Columbus can stack up. Obviously, the key here is Victor Hedman being healthy, but all signs indicate that he's going to be fine. I think Tampa would be better with Strowman in the lineup than not. But overall, I think Sergachev and Jan Ruta can step in admirably if necessary. You know, on the flip side, Columbus, you've got Wierinski and Jones as a great top pairing, but it really gets thin after that, especially with Ryan Murray and Adam McQuaid questionable and out, at, you know, at best. Uh, so a second pairing of Marcus Nutavara and David Savard simply isn't going to hold up against, you know, McDonough and Cernak or even that third pairing that I mentioned, Sergeyev and Ruta. So overall, I think they're just overmatched here uh, on the blue line. Matt, what say you? Yeah, and I wanted to circle back just as far as the forwards go. I just wanted to point out that Tampa Bay's top line produced 108 goals of the team's 325 goals. So for my math majors out there, that's 33% of the scoring coming from the top line. Now, again, going to defense, Tampa Bay definitely has the edge. You have to remember I'm a Ranger fan, and I have these visions of Dan Girardi throwing the puck into center (laughs) ice versus L.A. But outside of that, yeah, as A.J. said, it's all about Victor Hedman. He put up 54 points. Yes, for Columbus, uh, Jones and Wierenski, 46 points and 44 points respectively. But like you said, there's no depth there. The injuries are a concern. And then that's going to lead us to all these shots that are going to be flying at at Bobrovsky. It's just Tampa Bay's too strong here. Yeah, and you can add to the fact that they have a pretty dynamic one-two in terms of offensive punch. I would have expected Mikhail Sergachev to be that second guy, but Ryan McDonough reminds us all that he's one of the best two-way defensemen in hockey still, just playing in the luminous shadow, uh, the long shadow of Victor Hedman. Uh, He hasn't really ranked among the top defensemen in terms of uh, perceptions out there but don't sell this guy short he was a star in new york as, as matt probably knows and uh is certainly a great 1b option in the tampa setup but in terms of the goaltending matt what do you see here in terms of the the comparison between the two presumptive starting goalies in this series Well, the interesting thing is that the series features the top two winningest goalies this season. And I just want to put things in perspective. If we go back to the 98-99 season, there was a guy named Dominic Hasek. He started 64 games and he had a save percentage of 937 and a goals against average of 1.87. So let's just keep that in mind as we look at Bobrovsky. Started 61 games, had 37 wins, but he also had the fourth most losses in the league. He had a 2.58 goals against and a 9.13 save percentage. Vasilevsky, on the other side, started 53 games and won 39. Bobrovsky needed nine more games to finish just two wins behind Vasilevsky. It says a lot about the team in front of the goalie. Vas also had a 9.25 save percentage and a 2.4 goals against. I just think Vasilevsky is, is better and the defense in front of him is better. The power plays the best in the league. The penalty kills the fourth best in the league. I can go on and on. What says you guys? Well, I- I'm concerned about the headspace for Bobrovsky. Uh, 
goalies <laughs> tend to be a little bit flaky at the best of times, but you got to think this guy's a bit distracted because of what might lie ahead in the summertime where, where he might wind up. We've already implied it. Uh, there's a strong sense that he might wind up in Florida. So uh, what's his commitment here? Uh, is he going to be able to put that aside and really focus on where he's at? That's really uh, something that I'm considering. Uh, AJ, what about you? Well, I think Matt hit the nail on the head on something here. You know, you looked at uh, the Washington Capitals as an example. You know, they played Holpe 60 games a year consistently every year until last season where he only played 55 games. And you look at how the end of the season wrapped up for them. And I think you're on to something here with goalies playing less than that 60 games. I mean, you talk about back in the day, there were guys that would play 70. Marty Brodeur, I think, played like 72 games one season. Uh, and it was just astronomical workloads. You just don't see that anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with shot volume. Uh, and it, it's a different game. Goalies have to be a lot more athletic uh, these days to make those saves. And it takes a toll on the body. Now, all that to say, I also have concerns uh, about Bob Grosky, uh, in the playoffs. You have to look at his playoff record and it's not good. Five and 14 in the postseason with a 0.891 save percentage. Uh, I expect to see more losses piling up for him, uh, this year as well. All right, fellas, it's prediction time. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. What's the outcome going to be? Well, listen, Tampa Bay won 12 more games and the next closest team in the league. Everyone else is within three games of one another. This is an elite hockey club. I know the regular season doesn't truly apply. Just go ask San Jose. But for me, it's Tampa Bay in five games. AJ, agree or disagree? Absolutely agree. And let's let's be totally clear here. I think anybody who's saying Tampa in five just doesn't want to be the guy who goes out there and says Tampa in four, right? And I, I include myself in that. I'm Tampa in five here. Yeah, I'm going to make it a, a threesome uh, in that category, giving them a token win, but Tampa should win this pretty easily just in line with what they did in the regular season head-to-head matchups. Now it comes to the one series that I'm going to be looking at more closely than you guys, I'm sure. The Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs meet for the third time in the last seven postseasons. The Bruins winning the previous two series in seven games. But on the Leafs side, there's only two forwards that remain from that group, one forward uh, and one defenseman. So there's not too many guys who have the memory of those those both those defeats ringing in their ears but certainly the fans are probably more upset about this matchup potentially in Toronto than anything else in the regular season series the Bruins won three out of the four games outscoring the Leafs by a 16 to 12 mark and uh, in terms of the goals for goals against power play and shorthanded each team has an edge in a certain area the Leafs of course one of the top offensive teams in the league they boast seven players that scored 20 or more goals that's uh, a much more prolific offense than the Bruins offer up ranking 11th in that category but on the flip side the goals against situation show the Bruins third best in the league the Leafs sinking to 20th in the league after a late season swoon that was dictated largely by the the turmoil around their blue line we'll get to that in a second but in terms of breaking down these forwards I'm going to begin with the Boston Bruins forward situation and uh, that's where I feel a little bit of optimism fellas because beyond the first line which is definitely
definitely, uh, in my opinion, the, the best line in hockey, I'll say. Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak, uh, that trio you can put up against any unit in, uh, in the league and you'd say, well, the Bruins have the edge. But it's beyond that where the question marks start to come in. And really, one of them has just emerged in the past couple of weeks, and that's the right wing situation on the second line. Carson Kuhlman looks like the guy that's going to start there unless they flip things around and, and try to kind of spread Pasternak into that second unit in in search of more balance but the bottom six there question marks galore Charlie Coyle not really delivering what we thought he might in the trade deadline after the trade deadline Marcus Johansson has been a leaf killer in the past and uh, certainly is somebody to watch for on the power play there so uh, their depth is a little bit wanting, particularly when you compare it to the Maple Leaf situation and see that uh, the Leafs boast maybe the, a very prolific 1-2 at center with Tavares and Matthews, uh, both scoring uh, up, uh, combined about 80 goals in terms of the offense. Mitch Marner, the best playmaker, I would say, uh, in this series up front on the wing. Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Johansson, Johnson really emerging as as. Uh, Better players than I thought they would be, uh, both reaching the 20-goal mark. In terms of somebody that's gone south, I would say Patrick Marlowe fits that bill. Nazem Kadri could be the wild card in this series for me, too. And, of course, the Leafs fans are wondering, why the heck did we pay Willie Nylander all this dough? Uh, <laughs> how about you fellas chiming in on, and letting me know what you think about this, this offensive matchup? Uh, AJ, go ahead. Yeah, I think I do give a, a slight edge to, to Toronto here, but uh, I don't think it's quite as big of a gap as 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 you as you. I love the second line for the Maple Leafs. Johnson, Matthews, Kapanen. Uh, I think that's a phenomenal group right there, and it's only going to get better as these guys get more time together, more development. Um, so I, I don't want to take anything away from them. They've got a ton of experience on that third line. But for me, uh, I actually really like uh, the addition of Kuhlman to that second line with Krejci and DeBrusque. This is a guy that had 30 uh, points with uh, in the minors this year in 58 games, was a, a pretty good uh, producer at Minnesota Duluth uh, in his uh, collegiate days. And then to be able to come back with Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle uh, and Danton Heinen as that third line. And let's not forget about David Backus. I know he's been on the outs here a little bit. Looks like he could be trending towards a healthy scratch here. But this is a guy that's played in 76 playoff games in his career, has 34 points to show for it in that stretch, and somebody that could be slotted in at any point here. So I really... Uh, like the depth here, they can obviously add Corrali back late in the series once they once they get there. So uh, I do give the edge to Toronto, um, but I do think it's pretty close here in terms of uh, you know matchup. And what about on the defensive side, AJ? Take us into that. Or sorry, yeah, Matt. Let's let's let, let's let Matt have a chance to chime in. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Matt, go ahead. Oh, if you want to talk about the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, I can do that as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I, I'm going to be the numbers guy here, and that's what's always going to stand out for me. And I understand it's the playoffs and there are intangibles. But as far as goals for for each team for the season, Toronto potted 286 and Boston potted 259. But what the Leafs gain in goals for, they give right back in the goals against differential. As they have 251, Boston has 215. You mentioned Boston's top line. They provide 32% of the team's offense right there. If Toronto can shut them down, they stand a chance because the Leafs spread it around really well. Their top line produced 32% of the offense. The second line, 22%. The third line, 18%. Kapanen had 20 goals. This could pose problems for Boston. And the other thing, though... 
Johansson is a veteran presence. Krejci's big game kind of guy. On the other side, Marlowe knows how to win. But I just think Boston beats Toronto up. And that's something that you don't see in the stat sheet as far as beyond hits. Okay. Uh, very strong assessment with the numbers there. Usually it's me that comes up with that. I, I give you lots of props there, Matt. <laughs> Way to go. Uh, what about uh, the defense situation, AJ? How does it measure up from your perspective? Yeah, on the blue line here, uh, again, I have to give, uh, I think it's close, but this time I'm giving a slight edge to to Boston. And that takes into account the fact that they're going to be without John Moore or Kevin Miller for game one here. But you've got Zdeno Chara. Everybody knows, you know, his history. This is a veteran guy who adds a ton of, uh, you know, value there. Brandon Carlo, I think, has been a great addition uh, for them. And while he's not a points guy necessarily, has just 10 this year, uh, he's gotten more comfortable eating up, you know, closer to 20 minutes per game. That's probably going to climb a little bit here in the postseason. Then they've got Charlie McAvoy and Tori Krug as that second pairing. Uh, and I don't really think it drops off too bad, too bad with Matt Krizelich and Steve Kampfer. Although, again, I'd rather have more and Miller uh, mixed in there. But, uh, on the opposite side, you know, you have obviously Morgan Riley, huge, you know, producer. And that's kind of the big difference here. You don't have a huge point guy on Boston, but everybody's solid defensively. You've got Morgan Riley with Ron Hainsey. I love that pairing. Jake Muzzin really hasn't paid off for them in terms of what they gave up to get him uh, via trade. Uh, he can hopefully step up for them, but I, I, it hasn't shown yet. Nikita Zaitsev, I think, is still developing. And then you come back with Paul's favorite whipping boy, Jake Gardner, and <laughs> Travis Dermott as that last pairing. And while all those guys are solid, I just give a slight edge to Boston here. I will throw one caveat. If Callie Rosen gets some play time here, I think he could be an X factor in terms of, you know, tipping the scales here a little bit. I love what he's done in the minors and think he can really uh, be a long-term producer for them. So that's how I see the blue line shaking out. Matt, I'm sure you got some great numbers for us on this one as well. I'm actually going short and sweet here. <laughs> Morgan <laughs> Riley. You know, bottom line, Riley, he led the league. He's just, he's offensive. But Jake Gardner, I think he makes too many mistakes. And I think that's where Boston's going to capitalize. I think the forward's going to take advantage of it. As far as the D goes, you mentioned Chara, you mentioned McAvoy. But again, I think the exciting thing will be what Riley can do from an offensive standpoint. Exactly where I would like to start, too. The, the knock against Lease for years was they don't have a true bona fide number one defenseman. Well, Riley certainly has emerged to fill that role very capably. And what's striking to me, Matt, no pun intended with your Twitter handle, <laughs> is that, yes. uh, that uh, the Leafs don't have an asterisk here in terms of any injuries on the blue line. It's been the first time since the trade deadline where they're going to ice the top six options that they have. And I'm excited for that possibility, particularly when I, I note that Nikita Zaitsev, uh, it might surprise you guys, but he ranks at the top of the list here in terms of uh, the Corsi ratings in the last two months for this team. Uh, he's, he's up there among the leaders, in fact, in, in uh, playoff performers with what he's done most recently. So, so uh, I'm not one for that metric generally, but if I can pull that out of my hat and, and make a guy look good on the Toronto li blue line, I'm going to do that. And in this case, <laughs> he gets to match up with Jake Muzzin. And I think putting Gardner in a third line pairing with Dermott is a good situation because Gardner has been a caretaker to the kids uh, for much of the last two seasons here. And Dermott is one of those guys that's really risen from the ranks to to surprise, I think, in terms of his development and uh, overcoming his recent injuries. And 
uh, AJ, you're right to point out the injury situations with Boston kind of level this a little bit more than it might be at fir- viewed at first glance. But uh, don't sell Zdeno Shara short. This guy's still got a reach that covers two-thirds of the, of the ocean, it seems, uh, sometimes here when I look at l- what he's been able to do with his defensive acumen and certainly missing a little bit of the offensive flair. But that's more in the hands of Krug and, and McAvoy now, isn't it? So uh, that's the way I see it on the blue line. In terms of the goaltending, Matt, uh, it's an intriguing matchup. Both goalies kind of floundering down the stretch here a little bit. Yeah, but I also think that both of these guys are looking forward to the playoffs, and that's something that people need to to look at when you look at a lot of these these veteran guys that start to kind of flounder towards the end of the year. They're saving themselves for what's called the second season. Freddie Anderson tied for third in the league, best in wins, 2.77 goals against, a 9.17 save percentage. Tuka Rask, who is just, I mean, he is gritty, and he is war-torn. Tied for 13th in wins. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. 2.48 goals against average, so less than Anderson. 9.12 save percentage, right up there with Anderson. Again, to me, it's who plays in front of the goalie. Uh, I don't really see an edge here. I think it's even Steven across the board for the goaltenders. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say you're right in that assessment. I mean, uh, prior to last season, there might have been a case to say Anderson was in the Bruins' heads a little bit with a strong regular season record, but the win in that series and then winning three out of four this year kind of has taken that away, so there's no mystique about Anderson in the Boston dressing room anymore. And I don't think the Leafs have much of a fear of Tuka Rask, they've beaten Boston on the road in each of the last two playoff series that they met head-to-head, and and uh, they have had the measure of Rask besides that in regular season in the last three seasons as well. But these are two elite goalies, make no mistake, and uh, really the unknown is which of them is going to outdo the other one, but it is a compelling matchup uh, on paper, and, and I can't wait for it to unfold starting this Thursday. AJ, do you see an edge here at all? So the one, again, I'll I'll go back to the term X factor here, I think is Yaroslav Halak. Uh, If things get a little bit wonky, a little bit out of control, Tuka Rask, uh, there's, you know, that guy that can go in potentially. You know, we talked about games played in the last matchup. You got Freddie Anderson up around 60. Tuka Rask only played in 46 this year. That's a pretty big difference. The other thing that's a little bit surprising, you know, for all of his wins this year, 36 for Freddie Anderson, uh, you know, tied for third best in the league he's got only one shutout on the year that's a bit of a concern you know who has more shutouts than that Curtis McElhinney Simeon Varlamov Jake (laughs) Allen had three shutouts there's a lot of guys who put uh, up some some more shutouts in him this season so the games played is a bit of a concern uh, from a workload standpoint as well uh, as that lack of shutouts I know it's not the end-all be-all but it, it does show a bit of a concern to me Overall, though, I still think I give uh, Freddie Anderson, you know, I would take him over to Garask in the Nets if you had to give me one goaltender for one game. Matt, give us your series prediction, please. Well, first thing I want to do is tip my lid. AJ wonky is one of my favorite words. I use it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, oh, Paul, you're, you're going to probably not like me, but I think that the Bruins are just a little too physical. I think it goes seven, but I think the bees advance. Uh, you're breaking my heart, you guys. AJ, <laughs> AJ, give me yours. Yeah, it's not getting any better for you, Paul. I agree with Matt here. Bruins in seven. What I will say is uh, if it does go the other way, I, I would be shocked if this 
didn't uh, go seven games. And honestly, I think this series could be too grueling uh, for either club to make it out of the next round. We'll talk about that down the road, but uh, I do go Boston in seven here. All right. Well, I'm going to go the other way, and it's my head, not my heart, that dictates this. Okay, I'm going to say that right up front, and I'm going to draw back on personal history a little bit. I was a much younger man watching Game 6 when the Jays defeated Oakland in a in a game that turned the fortunes of that franchise around. Matt, you probably remember that day as well when Robbie Alomar hit a home run off Dennis Eckersley and from then on the Jays became much more relevant in the baseball landscape winning the next two World Series and I think the same thing is going to happen here on Easter Sunday, Game 6 in Toronto. I'll be cheering the Maple Leafs on to victory in a 4-2 series win over the Boston Bruins. (laughs) Washington and Carolina up next. The season series was lopsided at four to four to nothing for the Caps. They outscored the Canes sixteen to nine. And in terms of the uh, statistical matchups, goals for favored Washington, goals against favored Carolina. Power plays both kind of middling and the shorthanded situation, neither one really exceptional, although Carolina did make it at the top 10. I'm a little surprised to see Washington ranking in the 24th spot. I wonder if that could haunt them because special teams are a factor in the playoffs more often than not. So something to watch for there. In terms of the depth charts, Matt, we've been wondering all season long, Tom Wilson on a first line right wing. That's been a head scratcher for me, but you got to give this guy props for really showing me that he was a capable scorer, that uh, that's a secret that was kept under wraps for much of this guy's career, I guess. He was more known as a a tough uh, guy, a rugged performer who was more a third, fourth line player, but a fixture on that top line. And uh, it starts out with Backstrom being the center of choice with Ovechkin. They've they've volleyed that position back and forth between him and Kuznetsov. The second line, though, uh, AJ you might have a comment on Carl Hagelin. I'm, I'm sure, having seen him in, in a Pittsburgh uniform fairly recently. I'm kind of surprised to see that switch up. Uh, Jakob Vrana held that role much of the season. There's a bit of an injury concern with Lars Eller at center. This guy has had a, a real renaissance in Washington, scoring some key goals for them and holding down that important third-line role and giving them a capable offensive look at that level, too. And uh, on the flip side, Carolina... They look like a fairly healthy roster here, and Sebastian Ajo, one of the more underrated number one centers in the NHL, I'll say, and uh, Nino Niederreiter is a guy that I've loved in fantasy, Matt, for, for a couple of seasons, and finally, he's getting a chance on the left wing on this team, on the top line, and really showing something uh, in terms of an offensive flair that uh, has been under wraps, but I think the skill set's always been there. Their heart and soul leader, Justin Williams, on the right wing, a playoff stud performer, and uh, don't sell this guy short when and the bright lights are on the postseason. He l- brings his l- game to another level, and he's dragged this team along with the storm surge all season long. So I think this could be a Cinderella team in this uh, playoff uh, series. Michael Furland, another guy that uh, is, is a bears watching for me in this postseason, a rugged performer who is a capable scorer as well in the, in the mold of Justin Williams, I'll, I'll say a little bit, and also in terms of Wilson on the cap side. Jordan Stahl, a very good two-way center. Toivo Teravainen, another uh, Finnish export who uh, has exploded offensively, gives the Canes a pretty good look in terms of depth on that top two lines. Fill fill in the blanks for me, fellas. AJ, we'll begin with you. Well, for Carolina's side, uh, I want to see this group in like three years. Uh, you've got Svechnikov is still a teenager. Uh, you've got Walmart is is just 23. 
Fogel is, uh, you know, 23 as well. So I want to see these guys over the next couple of years and how they develop. I think right now uh, it's just a little too soon for me for them to hang uh, with the defending champs there. I, I think Washington just offers too much. Carl Hagelin still has the speed. Uh, is a guy that will go in and win battles. He'll forecheck like like nobody else and really put pressure on the defense there. And that's going to be great for Kuznetsov and TJ Oshie, especially. You get Hagelin going in, win the puck battle, spit it out to Oshie to use for that wrister uh, that's one of the best in the league. And so I just think there's too much depth here. The fact that, you know, Hagelin gives them the option to move Rana back onto a third line with Eller uh, and Connolly there. I don't love the fourth line here for the Capitals, which is why I think you've seen that group change throughout the season. Boyd's been in there. uh, Jaskin's been in there as well. Um, And one option for them, too, if Tom Wilson's not producing, you could see Carl Hagelin move over to the right side and play uh, alongside Ovechkin and Backstrom and add that kind of same uh, you know, uh, puck battle, you know, possession guide to that line, which I think would be great for them as well. So while I love Carolina, uh, for what they can offer, I just think it's a little too soon for them, uh, to hang with, with the veterans here that, that the capitals offer, uh, Matt, I don't know if you see it any differently to the point where I'm wondering if you are hiding in my closet, looking at my notes, (laughs) (laughs) I have next to Carolina, I have three to four years watch out. And then that's that's the whole thing. But it's just not their time yet. Yeah, Williams has has experience, but it's just not their time yet. And the storm surge is great. My good buddy Tommy Dreamer was actually down there ringing the siren, and he thinks that he helped them get into the playoffs. I don't know about all that. And on the flip, I have that Haglin could move up to the top line. His speed spread <laughs> defense is very thin. I think Washington is very deep. They're just getting warmed up. 34% of their goals have come from their top line, but 21% of them have come from any combination of guys that can go on the third line. So I just think Washington's way too deep. Carolina's just a little too young right now. I'm going to suggest Get that it's out of my house. <laughs> I'm, I'm suggesting that on the defensive side of the, this matchup, it might be a little bit of a different look here when we break it down. Uh, guys, uh, let's take a look at that. AJ, you lead us off. Yeah, absolutely. I think the difference is, uh, you know, one one trick pony uh, compared to some depth here. You know, uh, Washington, it's all about John Carlson. If you can shut him down, uh, it definitely drops off from there. Now, that's not to sleep on Orlov Niskanen, who both are 20 uh, over 20 points this year. But their next 20 point guy is Michael Kepney, who's done for the year due to that unfortunate injury. So then you really get stretched here. Uh, I love Brooks Orpik and everything he adds uh, in terms of grit and physicality on that blue line. Um, And so but for me, it's just it's too thin honestly for for them so i'm going to give the edge to carolina defensively you've got dougie hamilton justin falk slavin all 30 point guys even brett pesci kicking in 29 there so they're a little bit deeper uh in terms of offensive contributions so if you can take away john carlson which is by no means an easy task very few teams have been able to do that this season but if you can do it it's really going to make them limited in terms of offensive production uh from this blue line that's Kind of the difference maker for me uh, on how this shakes out. Matt, how does the blue line stack to you? Yeah, so the loss of production for Washington is a little concerning for me, but you brought up a great point and a great segue that Carolina has offensive defensemen, but if these kids step up, 
and they get caught in a rush, Washington's going to make them pay, and that's going to mean that Carolina's going to have to rethink their defensive, offensive strategy. So it's almost as if Washington's going to say, okay, kids, you want to step up into the play? Okay, you want to pinch? Go right ahead. Hi, my name's Alex Ovechkin. Goal. I think that <laughs> might be how this is going to play out. Washington has the experience. Carolina doesn't. Yeah, they do, Matt, but I'm I'm kind of in AJ's camp here in terms of looking at the depth on defense, and boy, uh, the Caps have to hope that Nick Jensen and Matt Niskanen elevate their game because it's a huge advantage for Carolina otherwise. Uh, it's four quality guys versus one quality guy and maybe two question marks there in terms of the play that uh, Niskanen and Jensen have delivered. Nick's, Niskanen in the past, I would have taken him a couple of years ago and said, yeah, th- then this is a more level, but this play's kind of fallen off a little bit and uh, boy they haven't got a lot of depth on that blue line and they got to stay healthy Uh, we know that the playoffs are a grind and if they have hopes of going a long way that that six-pack has to stay healthy for the caps otherwise i think they're going to be in some serious trouble defending that title in terms of the goalie matchup uh, matthew uh, what do you think about the breakdown here (laughs) i love matthew my mom calls me matthew (laughs) i thought you might like that well, uh, Maracic has a lower goals against and a slightly higher save percentage uh, over Holtby, but Washington has 30 more goals for, and I think that's where the difference gets made up. Holtby's been there, knows exactly what to do, eighth in the league and wins, 2.82 goals against, 9.11 save percentage. Maracic, he split a lot of time. I mean, they, they do have some serviceable backups, 2.39 goals against, 9.14 save percentage, but how do you bet against Braden Holtby? Just how do you do it? Think about where he was last year, even though Copley start, uh, not Copley, uh, Grubauer started those two games last season. It's just, it, to me, it's Holtby over Maracic. Yeah, he's certainly proven to be a money goaltender. Uh, the, it's a feel-good story in Carolina, I'll say, as both Marazic and McElhaney have bounced around a little bit. Um, I, I'm really sorry the Leafs let McElhaney go. We'll get into that. We can get into that, too, a little bit. But uh, he's been great for Carolina in terms of uh, stabilizing things before Marazic took things over down the stretch. But uh, as you said, Matt, uh, there's a big advantage when you look at the resumes of these guys. And Holtby is uh, one of the top goalies in hockey at this time of year, every year, it seems. AJ, where do you fall on this uh, comparison? Yeah, I mean, you guys broke it down pretty well there. It's it's Braden Holpe here for sure. Uh, you know, the, there's obviously the chance that McElhinney could see a start uh, or or even two uh, here, but it's not really going to make a huge difference. I think uh, this Washington group will score on either guy, uh, and, you know, the, they have the benefit of having a guy like Holpe behind them. I, I, I think it's uh, this, this is probably the matchup, in my opinion, that tips the scales uh, in Washington's favor and speaking of the scales the ultimate scales it's time for serious predictions matt to lead us off uh, i'm gonna go with the defending stanley cup champs and either six or seven so there you go <laughs> all right and aj yeah capitals in six i think uh carolina offers enough that i think they could win a game or two probably those uh first you know maybe those first two home games uh that they'll get uh you know when when they get to host there so games three and four um but overall i think washington's just too much for them well and they were too much for carolina all season long and they understand the importance of winning a season 
season, a series, sorry, early in the playoffs to uh, grease the rails and, and make for a long playoff run. I think that happens in this series for the Caps. They're going to do it quickly, in my opinion, and uh, proceed to the second round after a five-game uh, series in this one. In terms of the final series on the Eastern side, maybe a very compelling matchup in the Shoals household, I would imagine. And AJ, <laughs> you're not looking too nervous. I think you feel confident about this one. The Islanders and the Penguins. The Islanders will have home ice advantage, though the series in the season was tied at 2. 13-12 was the goals for and against in favor of Pittsburgh. So on the face of it, looks pretty tight. And uh, the, the New York Islanders wrote an interesting story here, becoming the best defensive team in hockey after being the worst defensive team a year ago. That, to me, is a stunning transformation that we haven't really seen uh, spoken of uh, too much by the pundits. But I think it bears watching to see if that trend can continue in the postseason. Also, the special teams uh, re- revealed something quite compelling. The New York Islanders, one of the worst power plays on the regular season. They'll have to change that because, as I said, special teams very important. The Penguins, of course, with all that firepower up front, uh, their power play is much stronger. And boy, has Sidney Crosby looked good in the last month of play. And uh, it doesn't matter who this guy's got playing on his wings, but in terms of playoff drafts, you've got to consider Gunsel is a guy who's really emerged, and he hit the pay window too. But Brian Rust is not a guy to sleep on either as long as he continues to play first line minutes. If Genny Malkin is over his spring break, the annual one that almost cost AJ a dollar here, (laughs) but uh, Jared McCann being a a surprise element on that second line, AJ, I'm curious to see whether you think he stays in that role and holds on to it, or maybe Teddy Bluger moves up and takes it on. Bugstad looks like he's going to line up at center, according to what we have in the Rotowire lineups, and Phil the Thrill uh, lighting it up on the offense on that third line. It's still uh, it's still interesting to me that they have the three superstars on this team, and they put each of them on a different unit here uh, to give the opposition headaches in terms of matchups. And uh, where, where the Islanders excel is at center ice, and um, I, I think they have a pretty nice one-two when you break down Barzell's uh, contribution along with Brock Nelson. Uh, I, I don't think these guys took a backward step uh, despite the fact that uh, John Tavares left uh, the team, and they rose to the occasion. I've got to give both of them some credit here. Anders Lee as well, uh, de- uh, developing as something of a leader over here, and Jordan Everly, for my money, one of the smartest guys in terms of a hockey IQ lead the offense, but uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think about the rest of these matchups and uh, who of these forwards jumps out to both of you. So AJ, why don't you lead us on that discussion? Yeah, the thing with uh, the Islanders is there's just not a lot of depth after that top line. I mean, you've got uh, Leo Komarov and Val- uh, Valteria Filpula filling out your third line. Uh, those are guys that on a lot of teams are maybe healthy scratches or, uh, th- you know, fourth line guys. Uh, you know, Komarov, obviously, that happened to him in Toronto. That's why he's not there anymore. Um, there's just no depth here for me outside of that group. And that's something that they just can't match up with when you look at the Penguins. Uh, I think, you know, uh, the lines that we're looking at were what they did on Monday. Uh, it's still fluid there. I wouldn't be surprised to see Phil back up on, on Malkin's line. And the only way Jared McCann gets bounced from that second line, in my opinion, is if he moves back onto the first line with Sidney Crosby. That's been a great pairing for them, uh, along with Jake Gunsel there. And to have Nick Butestead filling out that third line center role, uh, this is just too deep of a team uh, for the Islanders to hang with them. And you mentioned uh, Jake Gunsel. Uh, you can't talk about Jake and Bake without 
his playoff numbers, 42 points in 37 playoff games. This guy absolutely turns it on uh, in the postseason, which is a scary thing to consider uh, when you look at his regular season stats this year, hitting that 40 goal mark uh, for the first time in his career. Matt, chime in. <laughs> How dare I? Uh, yeah, just <laughs> have one of the worst power plays in the league. Pittsburgh has one of the best power plays in the league. I also think that the gun show potting 40 goals is something that if we go back to the to the cast that we did I, back in the start of the season, I think AJ, you and I were, were pretty giddy about about Jake and Bake. And uh, I had him in a lot of leagues and, you know, he did exactly what he's supposed to do. And yes, the Islanders are shallow, and I think they're going to drown in the depth of Pittsburgh. I love Bugstad. I love the fact that Kessel's on the third line. I mean, there's just too much depth. There's too much firepower. I can go and give you all the numbers here, but let's just say that Pittsburgh has too much firepower, and they know how to win. And uh, AJ, why don't you lead us off in terms of how the defensive cores break down for these teams? Well, so the biggest thing uh, you know to look at here, I think, is uh, you know, for, for the Islanders, it's, it's more of the same, you know, we talk about there just not being uh, much after, you know, the top here. And, and I think they they just don't offer enough, uh, in terms of blue line scoring here. Uh, there's, you know, they're, they're a little bit weak in that position. And so overall, uh, I think the numbers just don't stack up for them. There's, there's plenty of opportunities, I think long-term for some guys to step up, but you've got Ryan Polak as your leading scorer here at 37 points. Nick Letty has 26, uh, and then it tails off from there. Uh, comparatively, the Penguins are a team that features uh, a, a guy in Chris Letang who had 56 points this year. Uh, if not for a little bit of injury here, I, I think maybe his name gets tossed out uh, for Norris this season. I don't overall see that. And they pair him up, uh, hopefully, depending on health, with, uh, you know, Brian Dumoulin. Now, if Dumoulin's not in, it's not really a concern because the much maligned Jack Johnson and Erica Branson, uh, who both uh, had some issues defensively uh, with other teams, have really been solid for the last month and have uh, adjusted well. You know, there's this lore growing around Pittsburgh about being able to rehabilitate defensemen. You look at Jamie Oleksiak came here, played really well, went back to Dallas. Now he's on the outside looking in, uh, in terms of playtime, they added Marcus Pedersen. And so, uh, you know, Dumlin is, has to be in the lineup overall. Uh, if they don't have him in game one, they'll have him in game two, I think. And so for me, uh, again, it's just more of the same, too much depth, uh, on this club for, for the Islanders to be able to match up. Matt, Matt, what do you say? <laughs> you almost went with Matthew. Say Matthew, yeah, you almost caught me. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, the, the, the drop off on the Islanders side should be a concern for Islanders fans. Um, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates have a pitching coach named Ray Searage, and he is supposed to be this guy that can bring guys back from the grave. And and you you alluded to it, AJ, how a lot of defensemen go and they just become revitalized. And look, Latang is a beast. And yeah, I you don't worry about Dumont's health and. and all these things. I just think there's something about coaching in the water of the Allegheny river that just lends itself <laughs> to the fact that, that Pittsburgh is just a much more well-rounded club than the Islanders are. Well, and, and for me guys, I look at the Islanders second pairing and a very revealing stat, the combination of Pellick and Pullock that features two guys who were both upwards of plus 20 on the season. That tells me that they have 
really got a, uh, got the clamps on in the defensive end and have contributed enough, uh, at least in terms of the tra- transition game, to set the offense in motion as well. So don't sell that pairing short, I'm going to say. They need Johnny Boychuk to, to rise up, though. This guy has really seen a bit of a regression in his game. And boy, has there been a more of a turnaround in Nick than what Nick Letty's ledger shows over the last two years? He was in the minus 40s two years ago, but with big offensive numbers. Now he's simplified his game offensively, and that translated to a more uh, flat uh, plus-minus on the season. So really, I, I think what it says is on a team that's defensively pretty stable, they are wanting for offensive options, and Nick Letty probably carrying the mail there. And that's the biggest difference that I see in terms of Pittsburgh. They offer four defensemen with an offensive upside. Uh, in the emergence of Marcus Pedersen, a bit of a wild card too, as he's been a factor on the second power play unit. Uh, it could be a sneaky good value play in DFS or, or maybe season long in the in the playoff scoring uh, situation if you're looking for a, a depth defenseman that might go a long way and produce some surprising totals. In the, terms of the goalie matchup, Matt, uh, break that one down for us. So uh, Washington's goalie coach and head coach came over to New York, and it's evident. But to me is that these guys can't play. The goalies have to play. Look, Lanier and Grice, I mean, if you asked me in the beginning of the season, I could not have said to you that these guys were going to do what they were going to do. Lanier with a 9.30 save percentage, a 2.13 goals against. Grice with a 9.27 save percentage, a 2.28 goals against. All that's wonderful, but... Matt Murray on the other side has a much better defense in front of him, uh, 2.69 goals against, 9.19 save percentage. And I just don't think that the Islanders are going to be able to get a fluid situation going unless they settle. If Lanier is going to be the guy they go with for the entire series, great. But if it's Lanier looking over his shoulder for Grice and Grice looking over his shoulder for Lanier, Murray's just going to cruise. I think the advantage goes to Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm going to chime in on the other side of that equation. Might upset both of you guys. It seems like it's two to one against me today. Uh, <laughs> if I look back on, on what we've said so far, but I, I like the story of Robin Leonard. How can you not? This guy has overcome a lot of demons in the past year and really turned his career around under the watchful eye of uh, the general manager there, Lou Lamorello, who's uh, who's got a knack for finding goalies where where other teams are wondering how are how are this how's this team going to straighten things out on the back end but he's done it in toronto and he's done it now on the on the island and uh leonard has had an outstanding season grice has certainly pushed him of late but leonard will be there when the puck drops in game one i think and and murray for me is a bit of a question mark maybe the the weak point on the pittsburgh penguins i'll say if i can if i can be that bold guys but he he's been a little bit too inconsistent for my liking and i i think based on the seasons that they've had i'm going to give the edge to leonard and the islanders in that particular matchup aj break the tie yeah i i think uh i think you make a great point there in in terms of matt murray's uh regular season it it had some some problems with it we talked about it throughout the year uh you know it has started to come together of late uh there's still been the occasional bad goal um but for me i look at the playoff numbers you've got matt murray 28 15 uh in the postseason with a 0.923 save percentage and bo- oh by the way two stanley cups in three postseasons so uh for that's kind of tips the scales for me the guy knows how to win uh in in the you know the second season as as matt said and so uh i'm not as concerned as i maybe would have been about a month ago uh before murray started to stabilize a little bit 
And uh, it's time for series predictions here. So, uh, Matt, open it up for us. Oh, uh, I think the Islanders played over their heads. I mean, I have egg on my face, and maybe it's because I'm a Ranger fan, but I just I don't like them. I don't believe in them. And I think that the, the Pittsburgh Penguins know how to win in the playoffs. I think the goal is to get back to the finals, to try to get back to the cup. Uh, when I say the finals, I mean the conference finals. So uh, Penguins in six. AJ, agree or disagree? Uh, I only disagree on the number of games. I'll go Pittsburgh in five here. Uh, I think, you know, it, uh, I think they'll do fine on the road. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. And, uh, I think they'll come out and, uh, fire on all cylinders. I will point out they only played about 10 games this year when they had Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Schultz, and Latang all in the lineup at the same time, 10 out of 82. Uh, and now they've got all those guys for the postseason. I think they're going to tear through the Islanders pretty easily. I think you might be onto something there, AJ. I'm going to take, I agree with Matt, though, that it'll take a little longer. It's a six game series for me, but uh, we make it unanimous. Pittsburgh, despite being the road warriors to start this, will uh, take this series at their experiences is a big advantage, I think. And uh, I think the star power also carries the day in, in this particular series. So Pittsburgh in six for me. We switch over to the Western Conference and we begin with the Nashville Predators. My preseason pick to be the conference reps in the final. I'm not going to sway from that. I'm going to tell you right now, tip my hand a little bit. The season series was three to two for the Preds over Dallas, who finished in the first wild card after a pretty nice surge in the second half. Goal scoring was tied 14-14 in those five games. In terms of the special teams uh, situation, the Nashville Predators boasted the worst. You can't boast about it. They were the worst power play in all of hockey. And uh, Dallas, with their star power, was uh, almost in the top ten. Both these teams are dynamic in terms of the penalty killing. They both finished in the top six. Goal scoring was a bit of an issue for both clubs, but both goals against was really something that they excelled in. The Stars were second in the league and Nashville fourth, implying kind of a soccer line score maybe in the in this postseason. We'll begin with breaking down the forwards, and when you do that in Dallas, you're talking about the Stars that lead this attack, and that's Sagan and Jamie Benn. They've seen fit to split these guys up and build lines around them, and Dallas is... is hoping that Rupe Hintz continues a uh, fine second half emerging from nowhere to be a solid contributor here as, as the answer to the question, the trivia question that AJ and I have posed all season long. Who's going to be the second line center? Well, it's Hintz right now, and he's going to be aided by the fact that Matt Zuccarello, a guy that uh, Matt is uh, very familiar with uh, from his time watching this guy in New York. He's going to be healthy and ready to finally pay some dividends after arriving here in the trade after the trade deadline. In terms of the other side of the equation, the Nashville Predators, again, uh, for AJ and myself, it's been a head-scratching season for Kyle Touris. This guy is a bona fide scorer when things are going well, but really has had a turbulent season and an injury plague and certainly has left a, a question mark that we thought on the Dallas side. It is on the Nashville side, in fact. Ryan Johansson, also a low scoring in terms of goals, uh, holds down the number one role at center. So a bit of a weak spot there in the middle of the ice for Nashville, but a bunch of uh, other guys on the wings kind of holding the fort there. Philip Forsberg needs to be the standout. He's had a little bit less of a season than I thought he would offensively. Victor Arvinson has been outstanding for the Preds. Uh, what about the rest of these uh, players that might be significant in this postseason? Uh, break it down for us, AJ. 
So I'm just going to talk on each side, a, a guy that can be an X factor here and, and, and make the difference in this, uh, this series for Nashville. For me, it's Austin Watson um, had some suspension issues, uh, some substance abuse issues that he dealt was dealing with. Uh, he's got three assists in his three games back uh, from that. Uh, and I think he can really contribute his numbers. Obviously he only played 37 games. So his numbers are, are, are down 16 points in those 37 games. But I I think uh, if he played a full season, this is definitely a, a 40, maybe even a 50 point guy, in, in my opinion, moving forward. So I, I think he can be the difference maker on the other side for Dallas. It's Matt Zuccarello because we haven't really seen how he fits in with this team. Again, in this case, it was due uh, to that that arm uh, injury that he suffered. But he had one assist in the one game back that he played for them. Uh, and overall, <laughs> doesn't look too bad when you've got three points in two games played for Dallas. Uh, and I think he can be a, a, a nightly point producer for them. I want to really see how he fits in. So those two guys are kind of the, the ones that I think can tip the scales one way or the other on how they do in the playoffs here. That's what I see there. Uh, Matt, anything different? Uh, I mean, no, this is for me, Dallas's first time getting back to the playoffs in 16. I think they're going to be amped. Uh, yeah, I love Zook. He's a pest. I'm glad he's healthy. Uh, I think Radulov is a key for Dallas in my mind. And, um, but this is go to the other side. Arvidsson drives this team. The hand injury is past him. 48 goals, Forsberg, Johansson. They, they have a very, a very fun team to watch. Uh, Dallas has high end frontline forwards, but we'll get into it. All three of the D men have double digit goals. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Nashville's forwards leading scorer had 64 points. That isn't that impressive. Their production comes from other places. Their, their power play isn't, you know, something that you can write home about, but there's some very interesting elements. And in the, the next segment, when we talk about it, I think this is where the meat comes in this series on the defensive side. And AJ, why don't you lead us off in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's there's no way to get away from the fact that, yes, maybe some some guys underproduced, specifically P.K. Subban, but you can't get away from the fact that this Nashville defense is just one of the best defenses in the league with Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matias Ekholm, P.K. Subban. You've got Dan Hamhus holding down that blue line. And then the youngster, Dante Fabro, has played a little bit here. Uh, and I don't think he'll be a factor. I think they'll go uh, to Irwin or Weber here in the postseason. But, uh, you know, these guys have really just continued to produce every year. Yossi's at 56, Ekholm 44, Ellis at 51. When P.K. Subban is your fourth best offensive producer at 31 points, uh, you're doing something right here. And I just don't think Dallas has the ability to match up with that on this blue line yes they've got john klingberg leading the way miro heiskanen has been uh, great this year having a breakout season but it starts to tail off from there and i just think they're too deep pk suban i think will find his game here he'll get amped up for the postseason uh and that's just going to make them too much to handle that's at least my take uh matt what do you see there I think if you only watch one series and you want to know what playoff hockey is about, you watch this series. Uh, as far as Dallas goes, you said Klingberg, Heiskanen, Lindell. These are tough D-men guys. This team does not give up a lot of goals via its defense. It does it through their goalies, essentially. Uh, <laughs> that Nashville, with Yossi's very good two ways, and yes, Ellis, and I don't think you sleep on Ekholm. My question is, Subban truly healthy? 
that's really yeah. what I want to see. And uh, another thing that I think is interesting is that a lockdown penalty kill is vital. Nashville runs their power play through their defense, and I don't think that's the way to do it anymore. My opinion, a good power play goes through the lateral. They use the slot, not necessarily the perimeter like Nashville tries to do. So I just think that if, if Dallas's penalty kill can shut down Nashville, then you know we're, we're talking about a really, really interesting series here. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to special teams, too, uh, without tipping our hands in terms of the final outcome. Uh, I, I love the call there, Matt, and, and uh, I, I don't want to sell the Dallas defense short. We know that Nashville's is outstanding, but that top trio, Klingberg, Heisken, and Lindell, is pretty impressive. They combined for over 100 points offensively and uh, showed something to me in the defensive zone as well, uh, improving this team's fortunes dramatically uh, in terms of the goals against this season that, that propelled propel them to the postseason so I do think they're going to be a big factor I think the team that emerges with the, with the best defensive form, uh, performance is going to win this series and I don't think it's as uh, disparate as as uh, it might appear at first glance I'll say that in terms of the net mining situation Matt uh, with the strong defenses here I expect uh, good performances in nets from both sides Oh, yeah, I, I don't think if, if you're wagering, take the under in every single game. This is going to be physical, tight checking, and low scoring. And that is in part to the defense, and that's also in part to the goaltenders. Pekka Rene with a 9.18 save percentage and a 2.42 goals against. Even even the lay fan knows who Pekka Rene is, and I think that speaks volumes. On the flip side, Big Ben Bishop can be very erratic. I've owned him in leagues, and I have cursed him, and I've also loved him. <laughs> So, you know, you need to take that into consideration. Uh, his numbers are actually pretty impressive considering, you know, who he's been. But I just think the edge has to go to Rene based off of experience. The Preds have been there. Like I said, Dallas just getting back for the first time since 2016. Uh, I think the edge goes to Nashville and Nets. Yeah, I, I think it does. But it's a narrower edge than, than mm-hmm. I'm willing to concede, uh, Matt. And, and I'll say that because Bishop... Another one of those big body guys that two of the biggest goalies in the playoffs uh, match up head to head in this in this postseason. And uh, if it comes down to a second stringer, Anton Kudobin, for my money, maybe the best second stringer in all of hockey is the is the in the wings for for Dallas. Should anything happen to Bishop along the way, UC Saros, not a not a bad option, too. So really, the depth on both sides is outstanding in the Nets in terms of quality. Uh, But we're going to see a low scoring series here, Matt. I think that's an outstanding call by you and uh, probably one that I'll agree with. Uh, AJ, round it out for us. Yeah, I, I think it's my turn to check behind me to see if Matt's looking uh, over my shoulder here. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's a tight battle, um, but Peke Rene is just more positionally sound, I think, than Ben Bishop. Uh, and I think that gets the edge in, in a tough series like this. Uh, and especially when you have such good defensemen in front of you, you don't need to be flying all over the net. Uh, let those guys work for you and, and stay square uh, to your shooters. And I think Rene's just got the edge uh, in terms of there and, and tips the scales ever so slightly in this matchup. Serious prediction, Matt? Nashville Predators in six games. AJ? Absolutely. Preds in six. Uh, I think open and shut case on that one. 
I think it's going to be seven game series, and I do think it's going to be like two one scores every every one of those. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see which offense can emerge from from the uh, upper limits that we uh, impose here in terms of the offensive exploits here, and that might be the ultimate thing that tips the scales as one team surprises in terms of breaking through. Uh, but remains to be seen. But I think it's going to be a close seven gamer. Up next, we got Winnipeg and St. Louis. The series wound up 3-1 to one for the Jets. They outscored the Blues 18-10. to 10. Most of that happened early in the season, and that's the real wild card here. The, the Blues look like a two different teams on the season, a very different club that started the season, was last in the league around Christmas, but they rolled to the, the best record in the league in the second half next to Tampa, I'll say, uh, with a strong, strong finish. In terms of the special teams, the Jets found wanting on the shorthanded situation, but of course, with all their offensive firepower, no surprise that they rank in the top five offensively on the power play. St. Louis kind of in the top ten in both categories there. That's a telling statistic for me. Not too many teams can boast top tens in power play and shorthanded among all the playoff participants, and it's indicative of the fact that St. Louis is a team to watch out for. They were outstanding in terms of the goals against on the season with the emergence of Jordan Bennington. i got to give a shout-out to the local guy who's... Uh, actually been in my house Matt uh, I'll say that a friend of the family so I'm really happy to give him a, a bit of a shout out off the top of this and uh, in terms of breaking down the offensive offenses for both teams boy Ryan O'Reilly I don't think he's gotten the, the, his, the props that he deserved. He was a, an outstanding signing in terms of a long-term contract that he got in free agency with St. Louis and uh, has really anchored things offensively, allowed them to uh, change things up a little bit with the movement of Braden Shen off that top unit at center. Now he's at second line. Second line center was an experiment, and now he winds up first line left wing. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, Vlad Tarasenko, David Perron, outstanding wingers here. But the question mark for me is the middle of the ice. Who plays that second-line center role behind O'Reilly? It could be Sunquist, It could be Bozak, who's a bit nicked up of late. Even Ivan Barbashev uh, has got a look in top six minutes of late. But to me, it's, it's a bit of a wild card here. Who's going to be that second-line pivot in St. Louis? And on the flip side, we look at the Jets, and of course, it's Wheeler and uh, his running mate, Shifley, who run things offensively but the nagging thing here and a big concern heading into the playoffs is Patrick Liney is listed as a third line winger what a drop off for the third year pro who uh, is coming up to contract time that's going to be an interesting negotiation in the offseason but before then they've got to get more out of him than he's shown of late Nikolai Ehlers and Kevin Hayes have been outstanding on the second line for the the Jets Hayes for my money the best addition that anybody made at the trade deadline Uh, how about you guys uh, telling me what you think about the forward match up here in this series aj you go first so yeah for the blues uh they're definitely the deeper club in my opinion uh you know the ability to have a guy like alexander steen on your fourth line uh patrick maroon on the third they're a little bit uh you know more a couple more veterans spread out throughout the lineup here obviously vladimir tarasenko on that top line so for me they're deeper but the firepower from winnipeg that they can put together in that top group kyle connor shifley and wheeler and then Yes, they've got Line slotted in as the third line there, but ultimately I think he not knocks Perot back out 
that line. So then you've got Ehlers, Hayes, and Line A as the third. It, it definitely drops off there comparatively. Um, so while I look at St. Louis as a deeper team, I think the firepower from the Jets at the top is almost just too much to handle. And I'm not usually one to say that. I always favor depth more often than not in a team. But uh, the, the the top of this Jets lineup is, is just too strong for me that I give them the edge here. Uh, that's, that's my take, at least. Uh, Matt, do you have concerns about the Jets' depth? Uh, yeah, I do. And also, these two played in the first game of the season. They haven't seen each other since December. To me, that's going to be a, a telling story as they begin to feel each other out. I also did a little bit of research. I don't think they've ever met in the playoffs. <laughs> that, that's just interesting to me. Uh, Winnipeg's top line outscored St. Louis's top line. I think that O'Reilly is going to have the task of shutting down Shifley, and Shifley is just bigger. And that, to me, is where a lot of things are going to take place. As a Ranger, I love Kevin Hayes. I want to see Kevin Hayes win. And, and yes, Paul, I agree with you. Hayes has been an amazing, amazing addition. Uh, for St. Louis, Bozak and Barbashev, yeah, they're nice, but I just don't think they can do it. Uh, the one thing I'm going to look for to see if the Jets take too many penalties, that might be something to watch. And uh, why don't we switch it over to the defensive side here then. And AJ, you want you to lead us in a breakdown of those units? Yeah, absolutely. The The Jets are going to get a big boost here. Josh Morrissey is, is projecting and, and trending towards being healthy here. Uh, and that's going to be the big difference maker for them. Uh, they dealt with Dustin Bufflin being out for a good chunk of time, but they've got Truba, Bufflin, Myers, and then obviously Morrissey being healthy. Uh, you know, this is a deep, deep blue line team here. Uh, Morrissey, I think, could have easily push for 40 points this year without that injury as it is he made it to 31 in, in 59 games which is a career high in its own right there and so i i really think there's a little bit too much to handle on that blue line now that's not to say that they don't have producers for st louis obviously uh, petrangelo at the top with 41 they've got the youngster vince dunn at 35 Colton Pareko at 28 as well. Um, but for me, there's just uh, too many question marks after that uh, in, in terms of both sides of the ice for some of these guys. Uh, Carl Gunnarsson been in and out of the lineup depending on how they want to match it up. Same with Michael Delzato. Uh, and so that, that speaks less about those guys and more about uh, some uncertainty about roles and, and how guys fit in. The fact that they're still shuffling things around there and, and trying to see, you know, throwing everything at the wall and trying to see what sticks so uh for me uh it's the jets blue line that's that's going to be uh you know again uh a little bit too much to handle for for st louis here and uh, matt yeah I, I have something to watch and next to it i have a healthy morrissey so yeah aj <laughs> is is 100 percent correct on that um as far as st louis goes and and i'll show my new york thing Michael Delzato stinks. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. He's, he gets shipped out of everywhere. But uh, I think the guy to watch for St. Louis is, is going to be this kid Dunn. I really do. I want to see how does he react to being in this situation and does the excitement get to him and things like that. The, the defensive battles on in this series are ones that, that really intrigue me, as did the, uh, the series before that we were talking about. But, yeah, Winnipeg does have the depth. But I just think St. Louis has um, – 
their, their players are just more fun to watch on the blue line, if that makes any sense. You know what? I'm I'm right on right in there with you, Matt. I, I love the emergence of Vince Dunn, and I don't want anybody to sell Alex Petrangelo short. He has a very well-decorated resume in terms of international experience def- uh, defending things for Team Canada. But Colton Pareko could be the wild card here, another hulking defenseman in the mold of a couple of the guys on the Winnipeg Jets. Well, St. Louis has one of those giants, too, who can play them play well at both ends of the ice he's got a howitzer of a shot so and jay bowmeister still one of the best shutdown defenders in all of hockey for my money so i like the top two pairings certainly there's a bit of a drop off but those guys in the third pairings they're going to play about 12 minutes a game anyway so the lion chairs can be carried by by a, a great quartet there in st louis and i think they match up very well with winnipeg i don't think there's a bit a big chasm between the two in terms of how I would rate them. So uh, good for the Blues for, for drawing closer in that comparison in my my books. In terms of the goalie matchup, it figures to be another compelling one. Matt, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, Hellybuck's been there. Seventh in wins, 9.13 save percentage, 2.90 goals against. What intrigues me is that Winnipeg really hasn't seen and i call him winnington not binnington because that's all he does is win they, they really don't have the book on him so that's going to be very very intriguing to see most times you go into a series and you know where to shoot oh this guy opens his five hole or this guy has a weak you know paddle side or whatever that's not going to be the case here they're going to take some time to figure binnington out and uh, a 1.89 goals against 927 save percentage he's pushed jake allen to be better it's there's binnington's hot and he's confident too i mean he is i don't want to say he's cocky he is confident but he has no playoff experience and he also has started the least amount of games out of any goalie in the playoffs i understand the situation but this is the playoffs now so let's see how the kid responds under the bright lights i have to give just a slight nod to hallibuck and I'm going to do the same thing, Matt. Uh, as much as I, I have an affinity for Jordan, I think he's up against it with the lack of playoff experience. And But uh, if he falters, they have a capable guy who has held the fort there in Jake Allen, uh, presumptive starter at the beginning of the season. So uh, he needs to get his game in order uh, ASAP should Bennington falter at all. And Hellebuck, uh, the book on him is that he's faced a lot of shots lately, though. For all the talk we made about the defensemen and the quality that Winnipeg has, they certainly have allowed a lot of shots on, on Hellebuck. And uh, I, I agree with you guys, though. It's kind of time for him to show that he is an elite goalie, and, and I think he does so in this series as it unfolds. AJ, uh, where do you land on this one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I same kind of boat. I, I give the the nod to Hellybuck there. Um, I I think the the thing with you know Bennington is you know can he continue what's seemingly an unsustainable rate? Although we've been saying that for for weeks now uh, into the postseason, the one kind of you know uh, thing for Bennington is you know they say you don't know what you don't know and he may just not know uh, that he's supposed to be nervous and and uh, you know hesitant heading into the postseason so uh, you know kind of looking back even in lower levels there's not a ton of uh, you know postseason experience for him uh, at, at some of those lower levels although he did win an OHL uh, championship back in 2010-11 um, but there's just not a ton to draw on but again uh, the the wild card there being uh, you know he maybe he just too young uh, you know too confident as Matt said to know that he's supposed to be uh, outmatched here 
All right, it's prediction time, and I think we're going to have some differences of opinion here, which is always good. Matt, to lead us off. Yeah, I, I think Winnipeg has big, skilled forwards. I think they have experience. And boy, oh boy, does that building shake come playoff time. <laughs> I think it's the Jets in six. And AJ? Hey, it, it, if it, uh, you know, if, if Matt knows what he's talking about, he knows what he's talking about. Jets in six, I'm, I'm same thing. Too many factors here in forwards being slightly edged out, D being slightly edged out, goalie being slightly edged out. I think that all carries the Jets into a to six-game win. And I'm going to go on the flip side of both of you guys. I'm going to say that St. Louis has had an outstanding second half, and there's still room left on that runway. And I think they play they've played better than Winnipeg by miles over the last little while and things have been unsettled in terms of the injury situation which might be a little bit better uh, heading into the playoffs but still I like the fact that the, the Blues come in this on, the, on a roll and they continue it in a hard-fought seven-game series. We go into the Western, the Pacific uh, Division now and take a look at the final two series. Calgary versus Colorado, the second wild card team. The season series, as lopsided as you might expect when you consider the, the Flames were the top team in the conference. 3 nothing for the Flames, 14-10 to in terms of the goals for and against in that matchup. And in terms of the special teams, well, you've got to look at the fact that uh, Calgary... They have they rank 18th on the power play, 21st on the shorthanded. That's a bit of a concern for me, but it's negated a little bit by, by the fact that Colorado only 25th in the shorthanded situation. They were seventh on the power play. They've got to use that advantage to kind of close the gap in this series. But I think uh, we're going to find that uh, there's a lot of check marks in the Calgary corner when we break down the forward ranks it starts with the fact that we are talking about a very deep calgary offense and uh, you got to start there with the talk of johnny hockey he's been outstanding once again sean monahan has been a bit nicked up but still ranks as one of the top 10 pivots in hockey elias lindholm been a nice fit since he was acquired in the offseason to round out that unit becoming one of the top forward groups and uh, of course a player to watch in terms of this mix is Matthew Tuchuk this is his time of year he plays the game the way I love it a truculent winger who has a bit of a scoring touch and really anchors that second scoring line Michael Backlund Michael Froelich capable uh, Euro stars who have fit in with Kachuk on a formidable second scoring line there and I think they're more than the equal of Colorado which essentially has been a one-line hockey team fellas with McKinnon Landeskog and Rantanen being the trio there and Rantanen enters the season a bit nicked up himself so Alex Kerfoot could play a key role in top six minutes Carl Soderberg another guy to watch for but it drops off quickly for me in terms of the depth chart in Colorado uh, tell me I'm, I'm wrong, guys, if you wish, but uh, chime in, AJ, and uh, let me know what you think. No, you're absolutely hit the nail on the head with that. Colorado is a one-trick pony here, and it, it's it's all uh, McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen. Yeah, you can toss Soderberg in there. Derek Broussard hasn't really worked out for them. Uh, that's kind of been his theme all season. Uh, and so it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they reintroduce Rantanen into the lineup uh, if he gets healthy here, uh, which is trending in that in that direction. And so uh, it, there's just too much depth uh, on that Calgary team. I love Matthew Tuchuk as a as a power forward here. You don't see a ton of guys uh, really anymore breaking into the league in that kind of power forward, uh, you know, uh, style. Uh, it's much more finesse of late uh, guys coming in, but the 21 year old will add 
physicality, grit, determination, everything you want out of out of a T'Chuck, uh, to be for, <laughs> perfectly blunt there with it. Uh, and so I think there's just too much depth, too much to handle. I give the edge to Calgary in, in the forward compliment. Matt, uh, are you with us here? Make it three in a row? Yeah, just how disheartening is it for the fans in Colorado? They're going to need to take part in what's legal out there because Rotman <laughs> was the guy that everyone, I mean, I had him too in my leagues. And now that he's not 100%, it just, it really just leaves a poor taste in your mouth. I do want to mention, though, as far as Broussard goes, he wins faceoffs. And that's an important thing in playoff hockey. So maybe. That gives the fans in Colorado just a little bit of hope. But, yeah, and I got to say, Paul, I'm I'm adding truculent to wonky as another favorite word (laughs) that I love to use. I'm a former school teacher. Yeah, it's great to see. uh, It's great to see Tichuk do what he does. And, uh, look, Calgary's the next best team in the league after Tampa Bay. And I don't think anyone really thought that was going to be the case early on in the year. So, yeah, the depth of Calgary, as well as the just the, the grit and the hot streak, no pun intended, the Flames have the advantage on the forwards. All right, let's turn to the defensive side. AJ, you start us off. Well, yeah, I'll start with the Flames here. You know, on a lot of teams that we've highlighted, you've got if you have one big point producer on your blue line, it really drops off from there. This is a team that that's not totally the case. Now, Giordano is heads and tails above the rest at 74 points, but then they still have 30 point guys in Brody and Hannafin, even Hamannick and Rasmus Anderson were one point, both one point shy of hitting the 20 mark here. And so this is a team that has a superstar uh, defenseman that can rack up the points, but they don't have the drop off. Like for example, we talked about with Washington, it's just not there. They still have other guys that contribute uh, from there with uh, you know, with Colorado, you do see that drop off. You've got Tyson Berry at 59, a, a solid season for him. I've highlighted Samuel Garrard in the past. I think he's a great depth option, but his ceiling is right about where he was this year. 27 points, probably 30, 35 is probably max for him. Eric Johnson at 25. Ian Cole has kind of regressed a little bit into a more defensively minded player, which is fine. You definitely need that, um, but he's not the same kind of offensive contributor. He has been in other stops in his career. And so for me, uh, the Calgary blue line is a sizable gap. Uh, between the two clubs here they're heads and tails above Colorado in my opinion and going to be really the biggest factor I think in this in this matchup going forward Matt uh, you know is it one-sided as I make it seem or do you see these clubs a little bit closer as usual, I'm totally shocked that you are right. Uh, <laughs> Dono at 35 years old is having a great season. I think he's a Norris Trophy winner. He's a plus 39. Let that sink in for a second. That's huge. I also, I love Hannafin. I really do. He's a fun player to watch. Uh, I don't want to poo-poo Colorado. Uh, Barry is a minus three. He's very good. He connects things for Colorado. These are two very different defensemen. Look, when guys were hurt, Tyson stepped up offensively. And Colorado's going to need to score, and they need Barry to need to be a part of that. Also, though, uh, Eric Johnson blocks shots, and I'm trying to find something for my friends out in Colorado to, to get excited about. But yes, Calgary just beats them defensively as well. Yeah, I agree with you guys. It's no shocker there. And when you break it down, you, you know, 
we know the playoffs is a war of attrition, and I think Calgary's really well set up here. They've got no fewer than eight guys that they can they can plug in here in terms of mixing and matching their defense should they encounter some injuries. But the the Colorado doesn't have anybody the equal of Marcho Giordano. I agree with you guys that maybe no team does. It's his year, 35 years old, and it looks like he's the best defenseman in hockey. Uh, that's going to be something of a record should he get the award. One of the older defensemen to ever snag that and a career season to boot with a plus 70 points almost double what he did last year so a real re-emergence for the captain in Calgary but he's got a lot of help in in the the wings on this blue line and a huge advantage as you guys lay it out and does that translate to the nets Matt Uh, how do you break down the goaltending here well, this is an interesting situation. Uh, I was able to, early on in the year, go out and pick up this guy named David Riddick that no one knew. <laughs> and honestly, I think Riddick should start, but Smith probably will. On the other side, Grubauer has been doing great. He's been very hot towards the end. He essentially got Colorado into the playoffs. I think he was like 8-1-2 and two in his last 11 with a low goals against. Um, but... I just think Calgary has this two-headed monster here. It Should Smith falter, Riddick is right there. Grubauer falters, and, and yeah, we, we know that they have serviceable backups, but I just think that, that Calgary's, Calgary's just a little deeper in net, too. Deeper all around. Yeah, I think that's a great call, and I, I also will point out that in each case, I think we're talking about the weak points in both teams here, which is an oddity uh, when we look at all the eight matchups, and neither one of these goalies really inspiring me to think they're, they should be ranked anywhere near the top 10 in the NHL in terms of starters that emerge, and uh, Grubauer, a bit of a surprise, uh, over the way he's overtaken Varlamov, who was supposed to be the guy, and really faltered in the second half of the season, lucky for them. Grubauer was there to take the reins and and rescue a season that was going down the drain Uh, even in the last week I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs but they did and the reward is they're going to get mauled I think by Calgary (laughs) Uh, I'll tip my hand there but uh, uh, Smith and Riddich you're going to see both of them in the postseason no matter how long they stay in the playoffs that's how unsettled it is on the Calgary side either and uh, so that's my my thinking there in terms of the goaltending AJ uh, round it out for us. Yeah, I think this is going to be the only matchup that Calgary could have had where I give them the edge in the nets. Uh, (laughs) Overall, I think anybody else, it wouldn't be. But there's so much uncertainty between Varlamov and Grubauer. Both have played well. Both have struggled. And you've seen that in Calgary as well. Um, I I expect we could see all four of these net miners at some point (laughs) in this series. Uh, And that's the only reason I think it's going to drag out a a little bit longer than it should uh, overall. And I'll I'll get to that when we get to our predictions here in a sec. And why don't we do that? Matt, uh, lead us off. Well, Brunzi, I'm going to have to say that I think it's the Flames in five, but I'm interested to hear what AJ has to say. Yeah, I think it's going to be Flames in six. I think because of the concerns in the Nets, I think it goes just a little bit longer. Honestly, based on everything else, forwards and defensemen, it should be Calgary in four. Uh, but I think it'll be Flames in six just because of that. those concerns in the Nets. Yeah, I'm reluctant to call for a sweep in any of the series, but this is the closest one for me in terms of that call. I'm going to reluctantly say Calgary in five. Matty, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that one. I think it's going to be over quickly, and uh, Colorado should be just happy that they made it to the, to the dance. <laughs> San Jose and Vegas, I think 
this is next to the Leafs and Bruins, the other compelling series that I'll be watching very, very closely. In terms of the regular season series, Vegas blasted San Jose twice, but then San Jose won two close ones. So on the face of it, two and two on the year, but 18 to 12 is the goals for and against situation in favor of the Knights. In terms of regular season offense, Boy, I'm surprised to say San Jose was second in the league in scoring. I didn't really expect that when I went through all the numbers. They gave a lot of that back, though, in terms of suspect uh, uh, defensive structure. They were 21st in the league uh, defensively, one of the worst records of of all playoff participants, I'll say. Uh, A little bit more balance in terms of Vegas, middle of the pack, right across the board, save for a power play that I'm I'm thinking is going to be better than the 25th ranking uh, that they showed in the regular season. Things are more stable now since the trade deadline, and uh, I think San Jose, uh, despite the fact they were sixth in the regular season, they might have the second best power play in this series. I'll say that going forward. The way the thing breaks down offensively for me, boy, you got to love the, the Vegas top uh, two lines here. Willie Carlson, Jonathan Marchessault, Riley Smith, they've been the darlings of this team since inception, but uh, they may take a backseat to the star power of Stone, Stastny, and Pacioretty. And and they may really benefit from this in terms of the fact that the the focal point in, in San Jose's coverage will be on that that star-studded unit, and uh, I, I think they'll be paying for the fact that they might sleep on on that second line with Carlson at, in the middle of the ice. His bit of a drop-off offensively from last year, but uh, they've really picked things up in the second half of the season. And uh, I I love this team, and and it starts with the top two lines here for me. On the flip side, Evander Kane has uh, had a bit of a turbulent season Thomas Hurdle uh, nice breakout campaign uh, leads the league the team offensively here uh, in the middle of the ice Gustav Nyquist a fine addition in the trade at the trade deadline Pavelski back in the lineup he's the heartbeat of this club offensively and they're a different team without him they're they got, got him back and healthy and that's the best news of, of all uh, looking forward Logan Couture one of the more underrated centers in all of hockey playing on the left coast has a lot to do with that this guy's a stud for me and Timo Meyer, though he's nicked up rounds out a pretty solid top six he should be ready to go before too long Uh, i think it's a really great matchup of the top two scoring lines here Uh, you guys are gonna have to help break the tie because i see it pretty even well for me i think it comes down to to one thing here mark stone i think that's going to be the difference maker here that second line uh is probably a first line on on almost any other team in the league patcheretti stastny and stone i think are just too much uh for the sharks to handle and i don't love san jose's depth uh you know some some guys have stepped up but that third line you've got uh, a a little bit of a, a slowed down jumbo joe anchoring LeBanc and uh Sorensen for now it could be Haley it could be Rattle uh Donskoy could factor in there as well so there's just not enough enough uh down you know down roster here for me uh and that second line is just going to be too good for the Golden Knights Matthew. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I need to grow a beard and get a rotowire backdrop <laughs> and move out to Wisconsin and just change my name to, to Schulze. I mean, my gosh, man. But I got to tell you, all kidding aside, it validates my notes and my research when someone like you says the same things. I mean, you know what you're talking about. You really do. And that's, that's a compliment to you. Yeah, Stone is a great asset. And Pacioretty should shine. And as the top six in Vegas goes, so go the Knights. Vegas has the speed. San Jose has the size. Last year, Vegas beat San Jose in six. But look, San Jose stacked. I call them the stacked Jose Sharks. <laughs> they have four <laughs> players with 30-plus goals. They're well-built. They're well-coached. 
and here's just a sentimental thing. So Joe Thornton has been predominantly like, like a third line center. Other than Adam Oates, do you know that Thornton's the only player on the top 10 all-time assist leaderboard to not win a cup? So San Jose has some emotional motivation as well. Sadly, they're playing their worst hockey at the worst time. Meyer's injured. I just think the forward edge goes to the Knights. All right. Uh, On the defensive side of the puck, some star power on uh, one side, but uh, is it really the edge that I think it might be, AJ? Yeah, I think it has to be. I mean, uh, obviously, Eric Carlson has been dealing with some injury concerns here, but I'll take a half Eric Carlson any day of the week uh, compared to most other defensemen out there. And oh, by the way, then they also have Brent Burns. Let's not forget about Mark Edward Vlasic. Uh, even Brendan Dillon chipped in for 22 points this year. Uh, and so I think the Sharks' uh, big separator, big strength uh, is going to be that blue line. Now, that's not to say there's not guys to love on, on the, the Vegas uh, blue line as well. Shea Theodore has been a player that I've been high on for a very long time, um, but he led the way with 37 points. Uh, Eric Carlson got more than that in just a few games uh, this year. He uh, rounded it out at 45 in 53 games played. So uh, there's just not enough. Uh, offensively here. And and that's going to be the tipping point. These guys are great holding down the fort, protecting uh, their net minders. And that's really what carried them as far as they went last year. And I think it can carry them again this year. But if you're looking straight matchup here, uh, it's really uh, a no brainer here in terms of, of the blue line. It, the edge has to go to San Jose. That's at least how I see it. Matt, uh, did I steal your thunder again here? <laughs> almost almost <laughs> so I, I think this is what we were all looking forward to when the deal went down and carlson went to san jose all of us were licking our chops and all of us were our appetites were whetted as they say and we really didn't get a chance to truly experience it now i know from experience a groin injury is a fickle injury all right it can reappear at any time A big part of Carlson's game is to jump up into the play. And with a groin injury, that may be compromised. But I remind the listeners that in 2017, on essentially one foot, Carlson almost took Ottawa to the cup finals. So (laughs) couple that with Bernsey and Vlasic and Dylan. And and yeah, San Jose, just defensively, that's, that's a sexy, sexy group. Yeah, it is in terms of name recognition and the points it delivered. They have a huge advantage. But I liked what uh, AJ said in terms of surrounding their net and protecting their end of the ice. I don't want to sell this the top four guys short here on uh, the Vegas side. I'd love to see Colin Miller jump up, though, and, and show something offensively. This guy might be the more t- most talented guy in terms of the depth that the Vegas Knights offer on the back end. It's just been a bit of a subpar season for him, but I think he's a guy that could emerge at the back end and I won't say level the, the field defensively when you make this comparison, but he could be the big star that emerges for Vegas should they uh, excel in this uh, matchup. In terms of the net minding, Matt, uh, break that one down for us. Uh, the bottom line for me is is a healthy flower is key. If Marc-Andre Fleury is healthy, then this really is a deep, deep series. Uh, versus San Jose, Fleury is 8-4-3 and three with a 2.12 goals against and a 9.37 save percentage. Keeping that in mind, now we begin to ask, which, which Jones is going to show up? 
Can he play well? The, the, the Sharks didn't do anything goalie-wise at the deadline, so the organization must believe in him. I mean, he had a 2.94 goals against an 8.96 save percentage. Both goalies have deep experience, but if Jonesy does not play well, this thing ends quickly. If Jonesy does play well, it's anyone's guess who's winning this series. Yeah, I think that's an interesting call because, uh, and this is a little bit closer matchup than it would otherwise be based on the fact that Fleury enters this on the heels of a late season injury, coming back for two games and giving up four goals in each of those. But you mentioned, you implied that Jones has been a bit suspect all year long, and it's that nervousness that makes me think that even a, a dinged up Fleury is a better guy to have in the Nets in this particular matchup, and he's the heartbeat of this club. Make no mistake about that. And I know AJ, have you got a bedspread with this guy's? number on it somewhere at home <laughs> i don't but i should get one for my daughter i'm sure she would love that uh <laughs> but yeah i mean uh, open and shut case for me matt Mur- uh matt murray see what i did there mark andre Fleury is the difference maker uh on a lot of teams he's got the experience three-time stanley cup champion had 35 wins eight shutouts this year uh he's just uh, slightly ahead of Marty Jones here. And so for me, uh, Matt Murray, uh, geez, I can't stop doing it. Marc-Andre Fleury gives him the edge here. Somebody wishes Tom Barrasso will win the cup this year. Tom Barrasso. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about serious predictions, Matt? This is an interesting one, I think. Yeah, it, it truly, truly is. Um, I just think, listen, San Jose is stacked, but they're, they're coming in on a lull. And I think that Vegas is in their head and I think that it's going to be the same thing as it was last year. I think it's Vegas in six. AJ. I think the, the Sharks will take it on a little bit longer. Uh, but for me, it's, uh, it's Vegas in seven still. I think they get the win. Yeah, and I'm going to make it a hat trick. I'm saying the Knights in six. I think there's just too much depth offensively and uh, a better defensive structure that carries the day. And I'll agree with Matt that it's a six-game series. Well, that winds up this episode. Matt, I can't let you go without asking you a couple of wrestling questions. Did you get a chance to view the WrestleMania? Uh, yeah, yeah. After uh, you and I had spoken off the air, I, I went back and I, and I watched it. And uh, boy, oh boy, I got to say, professional wrestling is a wonderful spectacle. And the way that it brings people together and gets people talking is, is amazing. Yeah, seven-hour extravaganza. I was in and out of it all, all evening long, but managed to watch it and boy, they've got uh, something really special there in that uh, entertainment sphere. And, uh, you know, we know that it's not 100% real, don't we, Matt? But uh, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's all real. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, tell, my, it, tell my body that it's not real. <laughs> it's a multi-million dollar spectacle, of course. And, I mean, these guys, to your point, they do put it all on the line. You did for years and years. And uh, I enjoy it for what it is. And, uh, and uh, I enjoy having you on the show. And I'm looking forward to great things for for this this group of of us as we move forward we're very excited about the affiliation with 105.9 fm to to broaden our scope and to get another night out of out of what we do is a thrill for me and i i thank you both for for coming along this journey with me and looking forward to what the next chapters unfold for all three of us and i think it's a great place to stop and wrap it up 
for this episode of podcast. Thank you to Matt K. You can follow him at Matt underscore striker underscore an outstanding follow, not just for his takes on hockey, wrestling, but also uh, the other professional sports in North America and around the world. Fabulous follow, Matt. Thank you for joining us. AJ, of course, been a great ride with you in uh, the fourth year of podcast. We'll continue with our outlook on a weekly basis through the playoffs in the early rounds. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.